morning and welcome to the program as we get back to normal here around the 2SM Super Radio Network. Great to have your company, Marcus Paul in the morning. Just gone five and a half minutes, make that six and a half minutes after five. That's after four in Queensland. All the news and your views on this program, as always, give us a call. Let me know what's on your mind at this early hour of uh, the morning. 0458 is the tele- is the text number. If you want to send a, a text through to the studio here, that's 0458 uh, If you're up and about early, something on your mind, just send me a text. The open line to talk, 13-12-69. That's 13-12-69. And, of course, if you'd like to send an email to the program, that's MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. As we get into it for a brand-new month, it's Monday, February the 1st, 2021. And don't forget, after 9 o'clock this morning, New South Wales Daylight Saving Time, the King returns, John Laws, for 2021. Nice to have your company. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind. 13 12 69, the telephone number. I see the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, says that the COVID vaccine that is on the way will help rebuild our economy. Nearly $2 billion will be poured into our vaccine rollout to get the country reopened. As Prime Minister Scott Morrison declares, we can't run the economy off taxpayer dollars forever. Suppressing COVID-19 and delivering the vaccine is one of five key priorities of the year to be unveiled by the Prime Minister at a speech at the National Press Club today. He will say that this will be one of the largest logistics exercises ever seen in our country. We will be vaccinating 26 million people. Well... He hopes so. There'll be plenty who won't get vaccinated, I can assure you of that. In any case, I'll go on. We will be vaccinating 26 million people, having secured over 140 million doses, enough to cover the the Australian population several times over. Mr Morrison will also unveil an additional $1.7 billion in demand-driven funding for the logistics costs of rolling out the vaccine, including hospital surge workforce, resources for GPs and data systems on top of $200 million announced for pharmacies. Now, with the JobKeeper wage subsidy due to end in March, the PM will outline he wants an ongoing economic response that, quote, lifts productivity to create jobs. You can't run the Australian economy on taxpayer money forever, according to the Prime Minister. Now, describing JobKeeper as a game-changer for millions of Australians, the Prime Minister will argue the scheme boosted the balance sheets of families and businesses by more than $200 billion and now needs to be spent. He will say today in this speech at the Press Club there's a large sum of money available to be spent across the economy, helping to create jobs and maintain the momentum of our economic recovery And that is where it needs to be right now in Australians' pockets. The PM will argue the government must exercise fiscal discipline to ensure it did not overburden future generations. So there we go. The Prime Minister today will outline all of these issues. All right, meanwhile, I see in Western Australia there are some major concerns 
because an outbreak there in WA has Perth essentially in lockdown. New South Wales health authorities have put in place a new public health order putting travellers from Western Australia coming into New South Wales since January 25 under the same stay-at-home restrictions as they would have faced at home. The move comes after a security guard caught COVID-19 in WA and visited a number of places within the community. Passengers who arrived in Sydney on a flight from Perth last night have been screened for symptoms and asked if they attended any of the venues of concern that have been identified by Western Australia. None of the passengers have reported being at any of those venues, so that's good news. But there we go. The new public health order requires all new arrivals to complete an interstate traveller declaration confirming whether they attended any of the venues listed on a WA Health website and provide contact details. Uh, There are plenty of uh, regions across WA which are affected. The Peel region, the Perth metro region and the southwest region. Now, these people will need to stay at home for five days until 9pm on Friday, Feb 5, that's this Friday. If they do not get tested, they are required to remain at home for a total of 14 days. So there we go. WA local government areas requiring requiring a COVID test within 48 hours of arrival in New South Wales. It's those from the Peel region, Boddington, Mandara, Murray, uh, Warona, Serpentine, uh, the Perth metro region. Uh, that basically covers most of the suburbs of Perth and the southwest region, the Augusta Margaret River area, Bridgetown, Bunbury, Bustleton, Capel, Collie, Dardnip, uh, Donnybrook, Harvey, Nanup and other areas as well. Anyway, it's a bit of a mess there in WA. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind this morning. 13 12 69. Marcus Paul in the morning. 13 12 69 is the telephone number. Alrighty, um, now emails. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com if you'd like to send me one that way. And the text number is open for you as well. All you need to do is just put into your telephone 0458 049 209 and we'll get texts directly here to the studio. Some disturbing news from Russia. More than 3,000 protesters have been arrested in Russia. Thousands took to the streets across the nation, demanding the release of jailed opposition leader Alexei Navalny. The Kremlin critic was arrested back on January 17, as we remember, upon his return from Germany, where he spent five months recovering from nerve agent poisoning. Boy, oh boy. A bit of a concern there. More than 3,000 protesters in Russia arrested. I see that gaming has now become an avenue for companies to expose children to gambling at an early age. According to the Sun-Herald over the weekend, kids as young as 11 are gambling for money and playing video games that encourage betting. How are these things allowed to get through the censors? Aren't we keeping an eye on this at a government level? Surely we should be. I mean, absolutely, we need to be. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't like the idea of kids as young as 11 gambling for money. 
playing video games that encourage betting. Chief Advocate of the Alliance for Gambling Reform, Tim Costello, has basically called it abuse, and I agree with him. Kids of that age, kids just over, you know, 10, 11, 12, they don't quite understand exactly what it's all about. And they certainly wouldn't understand that they're being encouraged to form, well, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, lifelong habits that can lead to economic and also, unfortunately, a personal destruction. Might talk about that a little more this morning. A woman has been seriously injured in a crash on the New South Wales south coast. The 68-year-old was driving near Batemans Bay at around 12.30 yesterday afternoon when her car left the road and crashed down an embankment. A property owner was shocked to discover the crash and called emergency services. The woman was treated at the scene before being airlifted to Canberra Hospital. Is it all about an overreaction over there in Western Australia? Perth, as I mentioned, will go into a five-day hard lockdown after one, just one, new local COVID case was detected in the state outside of hotel quarantine. WA Premier Mark McGowan announced yesterday that, well, there'll be a hard lockdown. Now, I'm just wondering at what economic cost for one case. I mean, don't they have decent contact tracing in place? I understand how urgent and how important it is, but we've got the Prime Minister of Australia announcing today at the press club in Canberra that, you know, we need to be fiscally responsible and we need to kickstart our economy and start spending money across the nation uh, well, how's that going to happen in Perth? One case, a full lockdown. Boy, oh boy. Carnage in Sydney over the weekends, in the south, south of the city, in Hurstville. One man is dead and another injured after they were shot. In McMahon Street in Hurstville at around 11 o'clock on Saturday night. 11 o'clock Saturday night. Two men... A 29-year-old was shot dead and another 23 was left injured after suffering gunshot wounds. They were found inside a Mercedes stop nearby. <laughs> boy, oh boy, police said it was unknown how many attackers were involved. However, the shooting was suspected to have been a targeted attack. They say that two men were entering a motor vehicle when they were ambushed by a number of males. This is clearly a targeted attack in which there's been some degree of planning. They're, of course, all known to police, these people. And inquiries continue. I mean, the incident took place after a boxing match at Hurstville Civic Centre and neighbouring streets were overcrowded with fans leaving the venue at the time of the shooting. Clearly... According to police, an environment where people are shooting at someone is dangerous and we're very, very concerned, obviously, that this type of behaviour occurred. Paramedics treated the men at the scene before taking them to the hospital. But the older man, this 29-year-old Mustafa Narman, died. The 23-year-old remains in a stable condition and the gunman is on the loose somewhere in New South Wales. Police say it's not yet known how many people were involved in the shooting. Footage captured uh, the after aftermath of the shooting 
And it shows a uniformed police officer and two other men hunched over the open doors of a white Mercedes. One of the men takes off his T-shirt and hands it to police, leaning over the back seat where the wounded man lies. Boy, oh boy. Not good. That's in Hurstville in suburban Sydney. And that's, of course, on Saturday night after a boxing game, boxing match. Uh, anyone with information about the shooting has been urged to contact Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000. That's 1800 333 Get in contact with Marcus anytime. Email us MP in the morning at 2SM Supernetwork.com. So here we are. It's 25 minutes away from six New South Wales Daylight Saving Time. And we're into a brand new month, and for us, it's kind of the start of uh, our breakfast programs for 2021, from 5 to 9, uh, each weekday morning on 2SM Sydney, uh, and stations that stay with us up there on the mid-north coast. Good morning to our listeners in Port Macquarie. Good morning to our listeners in Coffs Harbour. It's great to have you on board again for 2021. Good morning to our listeners in the central west of New South Wales who stick with us until 9 o'clock as well. Uh, That's out at 2EL Orange. Great to have you company. Uh, What we want to do and what we should do more of is talk about the news and the views from these regions. So please, uh, if you have anything you would like to bring up, maybe you're listening to us up there on the mid-north coast. Any issues, any stories of note, uh, please let us know. You can do it a number of ways. You can give me a call, 13 12 69. Uh, you can send us an email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com, or you can contact us as well on our social media. Just go to Marcus Paul in the morning on Facebook, okay, and follow the hashtag MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. From Dubbo to the Gold Coast. Get, 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 get up. You're listening to Marcus Paul. Call Marcus now, 13 12 69. All right, now, no surprises here. Next year, the Sydney Harbour Tunnel's 30-year tolling arrangement comes to an end. So as of August 31 next year, those who would like to travel through the Sydney Harbour Tunnel really should be doing it for free because I would have thought we'd have paid this thing off ten times over by now. But no surprises here. Story in the Herald today. The New South Wales government has hinted that it is likely to extend tolls on the Sydney Harbour Tunnel when the existing charges uh, and the charging regime expire in 18 months. While again ruling out a congestion tax on roads in Sydney... Transport and Roads Minister Andrew Constance said the government would have more to say, quote-unquote, very soon about tolls on the two-and-a-half or 2.7-kilometre Sydney Harbour Tunnel. Mr Constance said over the weekend, it's fair to say when you are dealing with the billions upon billions of dollars worth of construction, which has to be financed, we have to look at our tolling strategies to achieve that. No... Andrew, you need to be more prudent and a little tighter with money and stop wasting it. The Treasurer and I will obviously be working together on that, said Andrew Constance. 
Leaked state documents in 2017 revealed that the government was looking at imposing $3 tolls for cars on northbound journeys of the Harbour Tunnel and Harbour Bridge to help pay for the $14 billion cost of the Western Harbour Tunnel and Beach Link projects. So right now... As you would know, travelling through the tunnel and on the Sydney Harbour Bridge, heading north from the city, costs nothing. There's just one toll heading south into the city. But as we know, the government has been toying with the idea of putting a toll heading north out of town. Now, Andrew Constance was speaking yesterday after excavators tunnelling the M4-M5 link carved their way into the M8 motorway, connecting the final two stages of WestConnex. The breakthrough happened 41 metres underground at the St Peter's Interchange for the $16.8 billion project. The state opposition has repeatedly attacked the government on the cost to Sydney motorists of tolls, arguing it is now one of the most tolled cities in the world. Well, it is. The facts don't lie. It is one of the most tolled cities on the planet. Mr Constance said the reality was that large infrastructure had to be financed and the government did not have the balance sheet to build a motorway such as WestConnex in its own right. That's why we have the tolling concessions in place. It enables us to get the infrastructure in place generations ahead of time, but then, at the same time, there is a user-pays principle, he said. Now, the distance-based tolls for motorists using the WestConnex motorway are capped at $10.06, but rise annually at 4%, or the rate of inflation, whichever is greater. Mr Constance said the government was, quote, very sensitive to tolls and what it means for the community noting its vehicle registration discounts for frequent users of toll roads. He said, quote-unquote, we have to unfortunately have tolls, things have to be paid for, but again, that's why this city will never, ever have a congestion tax. All right, well, let's have a look here. By the year 2023, Sydney will have 12 toll roads, including the M4 and the M5 link. A year later, the first stage of a tolled extension of the renamed M6 motorway in Sydney South is due to open to motorists, following several years afterwards by the Western Harbour Tunnel and the Beaches Link. The government, meanwhile, is more than a year late opening a parkland built on the site of an old contaminated tip at the southern end of the St Peter's Interchange in Sydney's inner west. The parkland is a condition of approval for the second stage of West Connects. Anyway, apparently, according to Transport for New South Wales, the agency is conducting the final testing and commissioning of the parkland. Well, what do you say about that? Give me a call, 13 12 69. So a couple of things out of this. The government has hinted that it is likely to extend tolls on the Sydney Harbour Tunnel. When the existing charging regime expires in 18 months, that is August 31 next year. So after three decades, 30 years of paying tolls on the Harbour Tunnel, you'd have thought it's been paid off. Obviously it has. But again, uh, this privatisation mad, Berejiklian government conducts further toll mania. Another hit 
for New South Wales motorists. Give me a call. 13 12 69 is the telephone number to have you say. From Sydney to the Sunshine Coast. Get up. You're listening to Marcus Paul. Call Marcus now. 13 12 69. Okay, 14 to 6, 14 to 5 in Queensland. Bob is on the open line. 13 12 69. G'day, Bob. How are you, mate? Very good. Good morning, Marcus. And a good, good topic you brought up. That tunnel... It's owned by the government, is it? Uh, well, it's owned by, I would have thought, the people of New South Wales, but yes. Well, I can't work out why they haven't sold it then. If it's making money, <laughs> it's a normal thing for them to sell off, like the lotteries and all that. Well, look, like, I don't know. I hope they don't sell it off, Bob, and I'll tell you why, because it'll mean even higher tolls. If they sell it off, you'll know exactly what will happen. Transurban or somebody else will get their mitts on it and we'll be paying even more. I mean, if you notice the government tolls are cheaper, so the Sydney Harbour Bridge and the Harbour Tunnel, they're a lot cheaper than the other ones out in the west. Exactly. That, that's why I brought that up. But anyway, keep up the good work. It's, it's outrageous what's going on with all these tolls. And and look at the sports stadium they knocked down. You know, like um, what have we got a hole in the ground there and and it hasn't been re-erected. Like, well, a farmer wouldn't yeah. do that sort of stuff. Well, maybe not, but, I mean, that's beside the point what a farmer would do. Uh, I would have thought rather than going ahead and, you know, rebuilding stadiums and all the rest of it, you would focus on things like roads, uh, maybe uh, building new classrooms. I mean, there are stories out today, Bob, that show places out in Sydney's west like the Ponds, uh, which is out around Marsden Park, uh, that whole new housing estate out there where, you know, the state government has garnered billions of dollars in stamp duty excises. Uh, they, it's a demountable city, the local primary schools. I mean, they're trying because they promised ahead of the last election to build more schools out in that neck of the woods. They haven't. So what they've done is just decided to throw in a few extra dozen demountable buildings. It's not good enough. No, it's it's not. And, and Mark, we need more police out here in regional Australia. You know, like, I I just uh, find it unacceptable, mate. All right, mate. Anyway. Whereabouts are you again? I'm on the north coast, inland from Warhope. But, mm. um, you know, like, we, we don't have police. Like, cattle prices have gone through the roof. Yes. You know, um, we, we, we don't have stock police. Or mi- minimal stock well, police. I mean, there are, there are, and they do some wonderful work. I mean, I don't know. We've got to, we've got to be a little bit careful here. We need to ensure that we uh, have adequate police resources where the vast population is. I mean, I've, I know that the uh, uh, the department within uh, the state government that's supposed to be looking into things. Um, regarding stock theft and, and other issues in the bush. I mean, they do a pretty good job. But again. Um, I know it's important to you, Bob, but, I mean, there are, you know, there's some big issues in the city. Absolutely there are. Uh, Look, if you do have an issue regarding stock theft, of course, you need to just quite simply alert police to it, and they'll investigate. Of course, they will. 1-800-333-000, the number. Marcus Paul, in the morning, give me a call. Five delivery riders have died while working in September and October. This prompted, of course, the New South Wales government to set up a task force 
Yeah, I saw them again out on the uh, the weekend, um, dodging in between traffic, dry, riding furiously to get to where they need to get to. I don't know what the problem is here. We need to regulate this system uh, because quite often these riders, these food delivery riders, don't know the road rules and they're becoming a bit of a pest, I have to say, some of them on our roads. Not all, but some of them. They're very dangerous. Anyway, the five delivery riders who died while working in September and October prompted the New South Wales government to set up a task force. The Victorian government is examining feedback following a report into an inquiry into the gig economy, which recommended regulations of the sector. The Transport Workers Union has written to Attorney General and Industrial Relations Minister Christian Porter asking the federal government to implement a tribunal that would protect gig economy workers. Look, I understand there are some issues in relation to these workers and their pay, and now they're going to be asked to go, you know, particularly with Uber Eats, they're going to be asked to have an ABN, an Australian business number, etc., in order to protect their rights as workers. But, I mean, I honestly think we need to go a little further and regulate this sector and ensure that anybody who's riding these little mopeds around our cities are able to understand and appreciate the road rules. Because I'm sorry, there there seems to be an issue with, and I get how it works, I know they're rushing around and all the rest of it, but if you have a look at any of these riders, quite often there they are riding along um, the inside lane quite often looking at their mobile phone screen in front of them, looking up their next gig or their next delivery or where they've got to head to next, not paying attention to what's going on in the road in front of them. Cutting in front of traffic. A lot of them, I think, are far too inexperienced to be riding around in peak hour traffic, for instance. And, of course, as we know, the gig economy, when most food deliveries happen, is around peak hour, around dinner time. Are they dangerous? Give me a call. I think they are. I really do. Not all of them, but some of them can be quite dangerous. They don't seem to understand the road rules. And I saw one just over the weekend. Again, screen in front of him, looking at the screen. Didn't notice pedestrians crossing when they had right away at a a green arrow. And he's nearly run into them. Why? Well, because he was too focused on looking up his next gig or his next delivery on his mobile phone screen in front of him. Anyway, if you had a similar experience, give me a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number. All right, we are chasing down the state opposition in relation to this story this morning on the Sydney Harbour Tunnel. Uh, There are some suggestions that when the tolls are supposedly come to an end, are supposedly supposed to come to an end on August 31 of next year, Well, the government's given indication that perhaps, no, they won't. They'll keep the tolls running to pay for further infrastructure. What do you make of it? 13 12 69, the telephone number if you'd like to have you say MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com for your emails. Marcus Paul in the morning. 
Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Okay, welcome back to the program. Good morning if you're just joining us for the first time. It's five minutes after six. 13 12 69 is my open line number if you'd like to have you say. Let us know what's on your mind. There's plenty of news around. We'll get to all of the major stories, but we need your views. 13 12 69. If you want to send an email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. And of course, the text line is open here. Uh, we have a brand new text line for 2021. That number, 0458 049 209, if you'd like to send us a text. Now, to my listeners uh, in the mid north coast regions of New South Wales. Good morning to you. Good morning, Coffs Harbour. A top of 26 degrees today for you. Cloudy with a chance of a shower later. 27 degrees for Port Macquarie, our top today. And again, a bit of cloud around with a chance of a late shower. And for those in the central tablelands today around Bathurst and Orange, let's have a look here. Partly cloudy, medium chance of showers, most likely this evening, maybe even a thunderstorm. And a top today for Orange. Good morning to EL, a top of 27 degrees for you. Let me know what's on your mind. 13 12 69 is the telephone number. Very soon, John Graham, the Shadow Roads Minister in New South Wales, on the program. I want to talk to John about this story that's popped up today in the Sydney Morning Herald. The New South Wales government has hinted that it is likely to extend the tolls on the Sydney Harbour Tunnel when the existing charging regime expires in 18 months. Now, while again over the weekend ruling out a so-called congestion tax on roads in Sydney, I mean, look, at the end of the day as well, that's what these tolls are. They're bloody congestion taxes. I know the government says all we need, you know, to make money to build these things, but come on, really? That we already, We're already copying a congestion tax. At the end of the day, if you... You want to try and avoid some congestion, although those that are sitting on the M5 motorway a little later this morning will uh, obviously disagree because that is, that is, without a doubt, Sydney's most extensive and expensive car park. Anyway, again ruling out a congestion tax over the weekend. The Transport and Roads Minister, Andrew Constant, said the government would have more to say very soon about tolls on the 2.7-kilometre Sydney Harbour Tunnel the 30-year tolling arrangement on the Harbour Tunnel expires on August 31 next year. But I have no doubt under this lot they will extend the tolls and will be paying for them. Well, when I say paying for them, we'll be basically continually paying tolls on the Sydney Harbour Tunnel. And we know from back in 2017, the state government hinted at perhaps charging tolls both ways for the Harbour Tunnel and the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Right now, you know, if you're travelling southbound into the city, you're paying a toll. If you're heading north out of the city into the northern beaches or north Sydney, right now you're not paying anything. Down the track, perhaps, are we looking at a new toll heading north? 13 12 69, the telephone number. Uh, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, today will outline Australia's future in relation to how we can recover from COVID-19. He'll appear at the National Press Club in Canberra making a very big speech today. I'll get through some of the nitty-gritty of that. All of the good bits and pieces, of course, have been leaked to the media and it's all over the newspapers this morning, so I'll talk about that very soon. 
Suffice to say that the Prime Minister, in a nutshell today, will say, look, if our economy is to recover from COVID-19, we need to do one of two things, or we need to do two things. And that is, number one, get the COVID-19 vaccine in the next month when it's available, and number two, spend, spend, spend. That's what he's saying. He's also, of course, effectively saying that uh, taxpayers can't foot the bill forever. In other words, he's signalling an end, as we know, to JobKeeper and JobSeeker payments where they currently sit. Meanwhile, the Coalition and Labor are neck and neck in the latest news poll. Popular support for the Coalition fell to 42%, while Labor maintained a primary vote of 36%. That has resulted in the two-party preferred contest narrowing from 51 to 49 to 50-50. So the Coalition and Labor are neck-to-neck. So they're locked in a dead-heat electoral fight as the major parties prepare for battle over the economic recovery and jobs ahead of a potential federal election later this year. An exclusive news poll conducted for The Australian shows the electoral contest tightening over summer as Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese both suffer falls in their approval ratings. Popular support for the coalition has fallen to 42%, with Labor maintaining a primary vote of 36%. So there we go. Parliament returns tomorrow from the long summer break. The first news poll for 2021 suggests voters may be venting a broader frustration over Christmas border closures and the disruptions to holiday plans imposed by premiers. Despite the federal government being powerless to intervene, the Prime Minister suffered a three-point fall in his approval ratings to 63% and a corresponding rise in disapproval to 33%. Look, this may spell an end to the doomsayers in in regards to Anthony Albanese. We know Albo's been under pressure, particularly in the last few days. Uh, when I say the last few days, the last week, over perhaps whether or not there may be a leadership spill within the federal Labor ranks. Labor ranks. I don't think so now. I really don't think so. Not with this result out today, seeing the two-party preferred contest narrowing from 51 to 49 to 50-50. So the Coalition and Labor neck and neck in the latest news poll results. All right, give me a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Just back to this big story that I mentioned that's in the Herald today. The New South Wales government now hinting that it's likely to extend the tolls on the Sydney Harbour Tunnel when the existing charging regime uh, expires on August 31 next year. I mean, let's have a look at this. By 2023, Sydney will have 12 toll roads, 12, including the M4, M5 link. A year later, the first stage of a tolled extension of the renamed M6 motorway in Sydney South is due to open to motorists, followed several years later by the Western Harbour Tunnel and the Beaches Link. All this wonderful new road infrastructure with only the rich being able to afford to travel on it. John Graham is Shadow Roads Minister in New South Wales. Good morning to you, John. Good morning. It's nice to have your company. Andrew Constance over the weekend ruled out a congestion tax. I think we're already being copped with one. That is, those that want to travel in from the west and the southwest and the northern uh, and the beach, uh, sorry, the uh, the hills area, the northwest, they're already paying a tax in the form of these ridiculous tolls. 
Well, that's exactly right. If you want to make your way around Sydney now, it's just become impossible to avoid these 12, now 13, 14, 15 toll roads. And it's remarkable road infrastructure. That's the truth as you drive through it. It is gold-plated road infrastructure. But the truth is many Sydney-siders can't afford to drive on them. Well, not, I mean, some can't afford to drive on them now, but, I mean, we know that these road tolls get an incremental increase above inflation, roughly of around, what, 4% each and every year. I mean, how can anybody afford to drive on these things if they can't now? How are they going to be able to afford to in two, three, four, five years' time? We know that uh, there are many Sydney toters paying $6,000 a year in tolls, and you're right, it's increasing 4% four percent a year mm. uh, and that's really what we object to here it's the it's toll mania it's the four percent increases it's the fact that the government won't introduce uh, toll-free periods as these toll roads open and it's the fact that tolls are being put uh, on roads that have got no increase uh, no increase in infrastructure it's the new tolls on old roads like the m5 east where drivers have driven it for free for 20 years, yeah. now there's a new toll. Well, that's right, and we're seeing what's happening out there uh, around Chris Minns electorate. Basically, people are opting not to take this thing, this M8 motorway. They don't want to pay the toll, so we're seeing a, a massive 137% increase in, in traffic along you know, Forest Road, Stony Creek Road, up into that southwest region around uh, Rockdale, Hurstville, uh, and uh, it's basically leading to... If you like, uh, you know, trucks rumbling through every hour of the night through these suburbs. I mean, that's what the M8 motorway was supposed to, uh, was designed to try and avoid. Yeah, the whole idea was to get traffic off our suburban surface roads. And that's exactly the opposite of what's happening because these tolls are so high. Uh, Instead, what we're getting is a two-tier system to move around Sydney where if you can afford it, it's a beautiful run through this gold-plated infrastructure, but for many people, uh, they just find it's getting too much. And, of course, if you're sitting there in your suburban home, you do have the trucks rolling past, you do have the congestion, which is getting worse rather than better uh, when that was the opposite of what's been promised. Andrew Constance over the weekend said it's fair to say that when you're dealing with the billions upon billions of dollars worth of construction, which has to be financed, we have to look at our tolling strategies to achieve that. Well, basically, in my mind, that's you know selling off every piece of infrastructure they can <laughs> to ensure that uh, Sydney siders are paying this congestion tax or these ever-increasing tolls year in, year out. Now, we know that the Sydney Harbour Tunnel tolls are supposed to uh, cease as of the 31st of August next year, but there's a hint from the state government they won't, and they'll keep them going. Mm. Yeah, look, more tolls on the way. It really is tolls as far as the eye can see uh, across Sydney. Uh, Yes, this infrastructure's got to be paid for, but it's really the scale of the infrastructure is so over the top it's you know beautiful to drive on uh, but we're really raising the question is this the sort of Sydney uh, we want riddled with toll roads unable to get round without driving on them uh, something that becomes really a place where only some Sydney siders can make their way around using that toll network. All right always good to have you on the program John Uh, appreciate it. All right we'll talk soon thank you.
Thank you. All right, there he is, John Graham, the Shadow Roads Minister of New South Wales. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Uh, I mean, are they a necessary evil in Sydney and in major cities around the world? Tollways. I mean, I don't know. I, I just, I worry that in years to come, with tolls increasing, I mean, they're already ridiculous, like eight bucks on some roads just to travel, you know, uh, 15, 20 kilometres. And as John rightly said, some Sydney siders are paying upwards of five to $6,000 a year in tolls. Five to $6,000 a year in tolls. And when you think about it, even though the state government is offering what, you know, rebates, if you like, on your rego, what is your rego cost a year? Yeah, three, four hundred bucks, maybe. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. I mean, three to four hundred bucks out of a $6,000 whack. Well, you know, it hardly makes a dent, does it? I don't know. I really don't know. What annoys me is that, again, we're going to see a situation whereby, you know, motorists who have been using infrastructure like they used to on the old M5 and not paying a toll, and now they're paying a toll. Those who are used to travelling, uh, will get used to travelling, if you like, on the Sydney Harbour Tunnel, travelling north. I mean, we're at risk of having a toll whacked up there and on the bridge heading north. At this stage, we don't pay heading north, but we do, of course, heading south. And, of course, when the Harbour Tunnel... Uh, tolling period expires in around 18 months, there's every chance that the state government will keep the toll on. And it'll probably go up for good measure. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. the telephone number if you would like to have you say. A man's been charged with assault and property offences after a five-year-old. You get this, a five-year-old was assaulted in a shopping centre in Sydney's West yesterday. Police will allege in court today that around about, or 20 to 3 yesterday, a 30-year-old man went to Lidcombe Shopping Centre and tried to buy a mobile phone when the store attendant was unable to process the purchase due to the transaction being declined. The man ran from the store with the phone. The store attendant was assisted by members of the public who chased after the man and detained him for a short time. He managed to break free from the citizen's arrest and ran off through the centre, colliding with a five-year-old boy in the process. Now, the force of the impact caused the young boy to, well, knocked him out, basically lost consciousness for a short time. The bloke was again detained by bystanders until the arrival of police. The boy was treated at the scene by Ambos and taken then to Westmead Children's Hospital for treatment. He's reportedly in a stable condition with minor head injuries. Now, after being taken to hospital for treatment for injuries, the 30-year-old man was arrested and taken to Auburn Police Station. He was charged with assaults, occasioning actual bodily harm, stealing dishonesty, obtained property by deception, and two counts of goods in custody. Thank goodness this bloke was refused bail last night. And this morning, we'll have to explain himself to a magistrate at Burwood Local Courts. 13 12 69, the number. All right, this parliamentary inquiry into the New South Wales government's council grant scandal will be expanded to scrutinise new allegations of pork barrelling over a $177 million state and federal bushfire relief fund.
of which the majority was, you guessed it, allocated to coalition-held electorates. The Upper House Inquiry will call for new submissions to examine the handout of the grants after only $2.5 million of the first round of funding went to the New South Wales Labor-held seats of Cessnock and Lismore. That's analysis done by the Inquiry Chair and Greens MP David Shoebridge. Now, David will join us on the program to talk about this council grant inquiry just after 7 o'clock this morning. Now, there's stories as well this morning in relation to, unfortunately, we are teaching young Australians to gamble. I can't believe it. I mean, at the end of the day, I would have hoped that children who are playing on computer games, you know, are, I don't know, playing Super Mario or something. But no, it would appear that there are a number of games that enable young people, our kids, from the ages of, you know, 10 to learn how to gamble. It's ridiculous. So I want to talk to Tim Costello this morning about this. He's one of the chief advocates for gambling reform here in Australia. So he'll be on the program. Uh, I mean, the stats are worrying. They really are worrying. So many of our young Australians are learning the act of gambling and, you know, the thrill of winning the thrill of the chase, the thrill of the win, on their tablets. I mean, it's ridiculous. Surely we should be censoring what these kids are being involved in online. 13, 12, 69, it's a worry. Anyway, we'll talk to the Reverend Tim Costello just after 8 o'clock this morning on this issue. Marcus Paul in the morning. Give Marcus a call. 13, 12, 69. And if you want to send us a text, you can do that as well. 0458 049 209. And the emails are available for you too. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. At 25 minutes away from 7, New South Wales, daylight saving time. Well, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, will today announce effectively that he will be turning off the tap on COVID payments. PM ScoMo will commit $1.9 billion to ramp up vaccinations at hospitals, surgeries and pharmacies in a pledge to protect health while weaning the economy off the so-called blank cheque of endless federal payments. Outlining his agenda for the year, the Prime Minister will today address the National Press Club talking of delivering the first jabs this month as a part of an economic comeback in which Australians will return to work. But he will spurn industry calls for another big stimulus to replace the JobKeeper wage subsidy when it stops at the end of next month, saying that our economy is still gaining the benefit from federal payments worth $251 billion. Well, what do you make of that? Give me a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number. <clears throat> I mean, the Prime Minister says... You can't run the Australian economy on taxpayers' money forever. Mr Morrison says in a draft of a speech to be delivered at the National Press Club in Canberra today, he'll put the priority on suppressing the virus and delivering the vaccine while placing heavy emphasis on the need for industry to recover without relying on federal funding. Well, the hospitality industry will probably be unhappy with this, as will... 
the Queensland Premier, Anastasia Palaszczuk. As we know, late last week, she called on the Premier, uh, sorry, the Prime Minister, to keep a stimulus package going to support Queensland's tourism industry. And we know what people thought of that. They thought it was a little hypocritical that a Premier who would lock her borders down at the drop of a hat was now putting a hand out to save the tourism industry, which many believe she had a hand in destroying. Anyway, ScoMo will argue consumer and business confidence has recovered as restrictions have eased in a trend that will be supported by the vaccine rollout at thousands of GPs and pharmacies. He will say the task now is to continue our economic recovery by sticking to our economic recovery plan and exercising the fiscal discipline necessary to ensure that we do not overburden future generations and continue to spend taxpayers' money wisely. Basically, he says that we're not running a blank check budget. All right. Well, this speech will come today as Morrison and Albanese and everybody else return to Canberra tomorrow. Uh, there'll be a major emphasis on the $1.9 billion vaccine rollout. And as I said, effectively, the PM turning off the tap on COVID stimulus payments. Is that the right measure to take? Give me a call. Let me know your thoughts. We will try and again speak to the federal opposition. We'll probably wait, I would say, until tomorrow. I mean, after ScoMo makes this speech, we will get a response from the federal opposition tomorrow. Probably leave it a day or so until uh, the Prime Minister outlines his plans for the country today. Um, I am not a big fan of Andrew O'Keefe's. I have to say I always found him a little annoying, but I know he's very popular, but he's in a a lot of hot water. Game show host Andrew O'Keefe has been charged with common assault after he was arrested in Ramwick early yesterday. The 49-year-old former White Ribbon chairman is due to face Waverley Court on Thursday when police will allege he assaulted his partner, Orly Lavie. Orly, apparently 41 years of age. Now, I don't know, we obviously don't know what's happened here, but, I mean, it doesn't look good for Andrew. He, you know, he's one of those advocates against domestic violence. And here he is allegedly involved in an incident which saw him assault his partner. I mean, these are allegations. We need to be very careful about this. But, I mean, police take these things very seriously, as they should. But it is not a good look. Is he still hosting that, the chase game? Is that the one? Because it's done quite well over the years. It's done very well. The chase Australia. I mean, you've got a choice. You can put up with Andrew O'Keefe. Or you can put up with Eddie. I try and put up with neither, to be honest. Nineteen minutes away from seven, thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. The telephone number, if you would like to have you say. Uh, now, weather-wise today. Good morning to my listeners on Two SM Sydney. Welcome. Uh, to the first of our breakfast shows for 2021. Things are back to normal today, by the way, uh, with John Laws returning after 9 o'clock. So uh, we started this morning just after 5. It's a little difficult getting up that early, Scruff. Hey, how'd you go? He rocked up the same time as I did. Anyway, uh, we're here. 
for another big year, 2021. This program all about providing you with the latest news and getting your views, okay? As always, Mondays, a little slow off the mark with callers, but we build them up uh, throughout the course of the week. But I want to put out um, a call to to those listeners who have never actually rung before. I know it's difficult this time of the morning always to, you know, to find time, if you like, to, to call up on the open line. But if there's something that we say, a story that we mention, or an interview that I do that sparks your interest, there are a few ways you can get involved in the program. If you get time, give us a call, 13 12 69, that's the open line number. But we have a text line that's now available, uh, and that text number, we'll put it up on our Facebook page so you can uh, refer to it. The text line, 0458 049 209, 0458 049209. If you're hearing a story, maybe while you're out working this morning, making deliveries, baking, Preparing, uh, you know, uh, maybe we've got some people working in cafes, some of those that make coffees and uh, tradies on their way to work, etc. If there's something you would like to say, please uh, send us a text. It might be a little easier for you. Anyway, 0458 049209 is the text line. And of course, you can always send an email directly here to the Grant Goldman studio. Uh, the email is MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. And I urge my listeners out in the, the Central West and up there on the Mid-North Coast to get more involved this year, if you could. We will start following more stories and more news from the Central West and the Mid-North Coast. Uh, we had a little survey that we conducted of the program over the Christmas New Year period. And one thing that I found that was very clear was that you wanted more news and a few more stories from the Central West and the Mid-North Coast. So we'll start doing that in 2021 as well. Alrighty, 16 to 7. Uh, we'll also do a little more weather. That was something that propped up as well in relation to our survey we had over the Christmas New Year period into the program. So for Sydney today, cloudy, chance of showers. Out there in Penrith, it'll be muggy, 31 degrees, 27 degrees in the city today of Sydney. For our listeners on the mid-north coast, good morning to you. Uh, for Coffs Harbour, 26 degrees for you today, cloudy with a chance of a late shower. Pretty much the same in Port, although a little warmer in Port Macquarie. 27 degrees. Again, a bit of cloud around with a chance of a late shower. Now for the Central West. Good morning to our listeners. Uh, at 2EL in Orange, good morning to you. 27 degrees for Orange today. And if you're listening to us in Bathurst, 29 degrees for Bathurst. Again, for the Central West of New South Wales, cloudy with showers and maybe a possible thunderstorm later for you. That's for the Central West. So good morning to our listeners right across New South Wales. If you're listening to us online, of course, you can stay with us, 2smsupernetwork.com. You can listen to the program on TuneIn as well. So there are plenty of ways, although I've noticed up on our screen here, we're still having some issues, I think, with the... Uh, is that fixed yet? 
No? The numbers are not right now. Okay, all right. So we need to sort that. 2smsupernetwork.com. We're having still a couple of issues with sorting out our online listening, but we'll get that happening for you as soon as we possibly can. So it's 2021. We'd love to know what's on your mind. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right. It's a quarter to seven. Great to have you company. 13 12 69 is our telephone number. Look, the Coalition and Labor are neck and neck with the Coalition losing its razor-thin electoral advantage over the holiday break, according to an exclusive news poll for the Australian newspaper. As politicians prepare to return to Parliament this week, the figures show the two-party preferred contest has narrowed from 51 to 49 to 50-50 while popular support for for the coalition has fallen to 42%, with Labor maintaining a 36% primary vote. Now, despite a three-point drop, ScoMo still has a strong lead as preferred PM at 57% over Anthony Albanese, who rose a point to, well, still pretty low, 29%. Although I tend to think this neck-and-neck, if you like, 50-50 call will lead to those perhaps getting off Anthony Albanese's back. I'm not quite sure. Will it mean, with the poll so close, will it mean Scott Morrison perhaps put a, a court, put an end to suggestions that maybe he'll go to the polls early? Maybe we could be heading to a 2021 election. That's what some pundits were saying, but I don't know. If it keeps narrowing like that, maybe ScoMo might decide, well, I'll hold off for another year. can't believe uh, that this West Tigers grub, Zane Musgrove, has been arrested again by police. I'll give you details soon. Uh, this bloke needs to be, well, sat down out of the National Rugby League. He doesn't realise, this bloke, that playing football and earning hundreds of thousands of dollars a year means you need to actually behave yourself. He has formed this Zane Musgrove. I'll give you some details right after this. Come up the dial and give us a trial. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back to the program. Good morning if you're just joining us for the first time on this first day of February 2021, our first full breakfast show for the year. Don't forget from 9 o'clock this morning on our Super Network stations and, of course, other stations around Australia, the King returns, John Laws, for the morning show. So, Lawsy, back from 9. We're here until, of course, 9. And I'd love to hear from you. 13 12 69 is our open line number. All the news and your views. G'day, Les. How are you, mate? Good morning. How are you going, Marcus? All right, thank you. You want to talk about tolls? What did you want to say? Well, we pay such a heavy tax on the vehicles when we purchase them, and then we pay tax again when we register them each year. Yeah, we do. What, what's a $470 tax on a car for when you've owned it for a number of years? That's a very good question. Yeah. A very, then, very good question. And then we've got to pay toll when we travel the roads that we built. Well, the government, yeah, the government will say that, you know, all taxpayers aren't footing the bill for tolls. They flog it off to private enterprise. That's what privatisation is all about. And what they do effectively is tie us into another tax. I don't care if Andrew Constance doesn't call it a congestion tax. Of course, it's a congestion tax. It's a tax by stealth. 
these tolls. They've signed up to agreements with all of these different companies, which enable them to raise the tolls above the inflation rate each and every year. God, I could just imagine. Could you just imagine what the tolls are going to cost in five, ten years' time, mate? Well, we'll never be out of debt the way we're going because we build something, we sell it off, and people... The other companies earn all the profit. The profit doesn't stay in the country, it goes out. Well, that's the other argument as well. Uh, I mean, where is this money ending up? Transurban, which are one of the big tolling companies, and, and this is the real kicker, Les. This is the real yeah. kick in the guts. You know how yeah. much tax they paid last year, according to the records that I've received? Have a guess. I've got, got no idea, though. I've probably paid zilts. Well, you're absolutely right. Gold star to you, mate. Well done. No tax. No tax for Transurban. But they will raise our tolls above the rate of inflation each and every year. It's nuts. Absolutely nuts. And we put up with it. Why? See the uh, Deputy Premier of New South Wales, John Barillaro, has had a crack at WA on their hard border closure. One case in WA and they've locked the whole joint up. Crazy stuff. Alrighty, 13 12 69, if you'd like to have your say very soon, David Shoebridge will join us on the program. A parliamentary inquiry into the New South Wales government's council grant scandal will be expanded to scrutinise new allegations of pork barrelling over a $177 million state and federal bushfire relief fund, of which, you guessed it, the majority was allocated to coalition-held electorates. Same old, same old, but it's nothing to see here. Just ask the Premier, the Premier of pork barrelling, Gladys Berejiklian. Nothing to see here. Jim is on the open line. Hello, Jim. How are you, mate? Oh, g'day, Marcus. Um, I listen to you every day. What are you going on about that Zane Musgrove for? What about your team? You follow Canberra. Yeah. What about Stalin, Whiten, uh, Curtis Scott? Yep, Dugan, absolutely. Tarnie, and every Hang on, Manola. hang on, hang on. Every time any footballer gets into trouble, I will talk about it and, and highlight it. I did with uh, Tommy Starling. I did uh, a few years ago, of course, with Jack Whiten, who's gone on to uh, become a role model in the game. So come on, Jim. It's not, I mean, the news is today that this Musgrove bloke, again, is out at three o'clock in the morning, uh, not following police directions at the same joint that he was arrested at years ago, or a couple of years ago. What does he not yeah. learn his lesson? At least, uh, I mean, if you're going to talk about uh, my mate from Canberra, at least he learned his lesson. Mate, you've got to be at seven of them there, mate, trouble. Oh, rubbish. Absolute what, rubbish. Dugan Ferguson? Uh, Dugan and Ferguson were sacked hey, from, what? hang on, mate, they, well, okay. Dugan Ferguson sacked by yeah. the Raiders. Carney, yeah, but they were Campbell, Todd Carney, yeah, they were. Todd yeah. Carney sacked. What about Curtis Scott and Stalin? Just because they got off, they, they were in trouble. Hang on there, Curtis Scott in particular and Starling, but Curtis Scott, I mean, for was goodness. Was he out in the morning drinking? They found him under a tree? Yes, he was. But yeah, he, what about that? Hang on, mate, but he wasn't fighting with police or not following directions. He was having a sleep. He was sleeping off. Yeah, under a tree, yeah. Well, that's all right. Isn't that better than arguing with police or assaulting women? 
Well, he, who? Say, last grave, he never assaulted a woman? Yes, he did. That's what he was arrested for years ago. Oh, for, oh years ago. Yeah, he got off, didn't he? Like Scott and Stalin, all of them. I'm talking about what's in the news today, mate, and I'm sorry, Mr Musgrove is in the news today, Musgrove, whatever his name is, and he's obviously a troublemaker. West Tiger's bad boy, Zane Musgrove, has been arrested by police outside the same Sydney pub where a 2018 incident led to him being charged with indecent assault, which he was later acquitted of. Musgrove and Tiger's teammate, Asu Kapoa, were detained and taken to Maroubra police station around 3am on Sunday after allegedly abusing police and refusing to move on from outside the Coogee Bay Hotel. Again, I go back to my original point. What the hell are footballers who are supposed to be training ahead of 2021, what the hell are they doing out at 3 o'clock in the morning? Obviously causing trouble. Enough's enough, isn't it? I would have thought these blokes get paid enough money to behave themselves. Somebody wants to pay me four, five hundred thousand dollars a year to kick a footy around and pass and train and all the rest of it, I'd make sure that I'm not at the Coogee Bay Hotel arguing with police at three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. All right, good morning to you again. Welcome to my listeners in Sydney via 2SM up on the mid-north coast in the central west of New South Wales. Our telephone number 131269. And, of course, if you want to send a text, 0458049209. That's how you get to us that way. And emails, we'll get to some of those uh, shortly. MP in the morning at 2SM supernetwork.com. It's 16 minutes after 7. All right, a parliamentary inquiry into the New South Wales government's council grant scandal will be now expanded. Why? Well, they need to scrutinise brand new allegations of pork barrelling. Over a $177 million state and federal bushfire relief fund, of which, surprise, surprise, the majority was allocated to coalition-held electorates. The Upper House Inquiry will call for new submissions to examine the handout of the grants after only $2.5 million of the first round of funding went to the New South Wales Labor-held seats of Cessnock and Lismore. Analysis done by an inquiry chair. The Greens MP David Shoebridge has revealed all this new information. And I'm happy to say that David joins us on the program. Good morning to you, David. Yeah, morning, Marcus. I'd rather we weren't talking about yet another grand scandal, but here we are. Well, the Premier says they're par for the course, nothing to see here. I mean, she almost dismissed it as being, quote-unquote, normal business as usual last year. But this is a further example of why we need to examine this. Uh, Yeah, absolutely, Marcus. And I, I think that green light by the Premier happened at almost exactly the same time as this round of grants um, was being doled out by her colleague downstairs, the, um, the, the Deputy Premier, John Barillaro, and his federal colleagues, his federal National Party MP colleagues. So, you know, that, that was effectively the Premier saying, go for your life, uh, you know, spend the money where the political need is rather than where the desperate need is. And when you come into bushfire relief, the, the idea that they were willing to 
pork barrel bushfire relief and spend it on the basis of politics and need. I think that really, I've got to say, of all of all of these scandals, this is one that's really cut to the core because I know there are people living in tents and caravans. There are small businesses that are still smashed after those fires, and then the money's all handed out to meet a political objective. It's pretty offensive, Marcus. Now, in November, David, the federal and state governments announced announced $177 million had been fast-tracked to 71 projects under the Bushfire Local Economic Recovery Fund. Among the allocated grants was a $3.6 million grant for an engineered coastal seawall in Nambucca, $11 million to build a Maclay Valley skydiving adventure park, and $10 million to upgrade the Tumut Mill in the Snowy Valleys region. I don't see how that really affects... Well, that can really fit into the mould no. of bushfire relief, can you? No. Well, you know, what about the millions of dollars on a cider facility um, um, in the electorate of Wagga or the uh, expanding a, an orchard? Um, and you could just go around the rest of the state, you know, um, uh, uh, tens of thousands of or hundreds of thousands of dollars going on coastal in, co- coastal coastal seats where there was very mm. minimal fire impact. And meanwhile, yeah. the Blue Mountains, which was smashed, absolutely smashed by two megafires, yes. um, you know, two-thirds or so of the, 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 their natural bushland, you know, fire yeah, Let me see here, David, let me see. Of dollars of infrastructure. Yeah, let me see. Not, the labour-held seats of the Blue Mountains, <laughs> the labour-held seat of the Blue Mountains and other electorates held by the Greens or the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers of which, as we know very clearly, were affected by the firestorm of 2019-2020, received... Let me check. Let me check. <laughs> no, <laughs> Nothing! <laughs> Nothing! Um, yeah, and, you know, the Greens have a seat up in Ballina on the far north coast. It was fire-impacted, not the most fire-impacted. You know, its economy was impacted by the fire. I'm not saying they should have got an unfair proportion, but they get not a dollar. Meanwhile, and this is interesting... The state electorate of Wagga Wagga, mm. which you know had some fire, it was fire impacted, but not the most fire impacted. Yeah, um, I thought. I thought. Well, hang on. This is this is maybe going against the current because an independent sits in Wagga Wagga at the moment. Mm. But then you realise that in fact Wagga Wagga is in the middle of the deputy prime minister's electorate, Michael McCormack, and <laughs> these projects were identified by the state and signed off by the federal national party ministers and and Wagga Wagga, which was marginally, you know, it was, it was impacted by the fires, but, you know, not the worst impacted. Yeah. It got $56 million. 56, it got almost a third of all the funding went to the Deputy Prime Minister's electorate. And, um, and I, I, when I did that analysis, I, I, was kind of, I was kind of, you know, angry on a new level because this is I both bet. the state and the federal governments coming together to do this rorting. All right, let's have a look. Um, down there in John Barillaro's electorate in Monero, $3.95 million to Snowy Valley's Council to construct infrastructure at the Batlow Caravan Park for itinerant workers, more than $3.5 million allocated for a new cider manufacturing and distribution centre. Projects related specifically to fire damage included the Wombian Cave Road at Abulio, which received $8 million, and the Bilpin Fruit Bowl, which received $1.23 million to upgrade damage infrastructure so a couple of ticks there but really other bushfire elect- affected electorates mostly in the blue mountains were never yeah. even told about the fund never uh, uh, even uh, told yeah and i think that 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 again you know like this 252 million dollar rot that they had on the council um grants we heard from council after council when we held that inquiry 
um, that none of them had even heard about the fund being available, and it's been repeated again. And, and even after all of that media attention, yeah. even after all of that, I think, public anger about the pork barrelling and people not even knowing, they did it again, and they did it again with bushfire relief. And, you know, I come back to this point. I, I know that around the state there are people who still don't have a home to live in. Um, there are small businesses that are still smashed by what happened with the fires. There are communities desperately in need, mm. and and this is what they do with bushfire relief. Now... One of the other reasons we're holding this inquiry, Marcus, is because there's another $250 million to be doled out in the next few months. And um, we want to put them on notice that, that, you know, if this doesn't go in accordance with need, um, you know, we will we will make sure they're held accountable, at least in the, the court of public opinion. Well, absolutely. Opinion. And just on the court of public opinion, I find it uh, distressing, David, um, well, to be honest, that it takes... Michael West Media, Jordan Shanks, myself, and very few others to highlight these issues. I, I can't see anything in, in any of the Murdoch press today. I can't see anything in the Australian or the Herald at this stage. I'm hoping it gains traction because, to be perfectly honest with you, it's not good enough. I speak to so many uh, people who vote all manner of parties, whether it's Greens, Labor, Liberal, etc. All of them would agree that we need a fair and equitable spend of public money across New South Wales. It's not about politics for me on this program. What I want to uh, try and get to the bottom of is the fairness and equity of taxpayer fund. It's not Berejik Lian or Barilaro's money. No. It's not their money no. to be doling around. It's my money. I go to work every day, and as to other people that are listening to us this morning, we expect our money to be shared equitably across the state of New South Wales. Like it's in accordance with need in accordance with where it's most needed. And that's why I pushed to establish this inquiry. You know, it's a committee that I chair. It's called the Public Accountability Committee. Mm. That's why we created this committee, to try and do that kind of work. It's, um, and we need to have a, a substantial move away from this grants-based funding scheme where everybody is then a kind of beggar to the government. You know, you don't want to offend the government because it's the big man or the big minister will come into town and shower money out at you. Yeah. And it's designed to do that. It's designed to create a, a kind of climate of political clients. Everybody's the client of the government. Yeah. And we need to go back to programs based upon need, rigorous statewide assessment. And, you know, you, you listed just some of the projects here that um, I think if your listeners saw this list in detail, they would think, bloody hell, how is this related to bushfire relief? You know, how did, how did a, you know, large multi, multi, uh, multinational timber company um, and fibre company get ten million bucks of of bushfire related funds. I mean, they will be they'll be asking these questions. We'll be asking these questions. Hopefully, Good. in the committee, Good. we haven't agreed to. We'll do it first thing this morning. Hopefully, to extend the terms of it, and we'll talk more. All right. Well, David, you and I will discuss this at length until we're both blue in the face because I'm sick to death of this pork barrelling and I'm sick to death of a premier that says it's normal uh, activity and it's you know it's just par for the course and that's what we do. We know that. Uh, Gladys Berejiklian refused to appear before an inquiry, but John Barillaro has a week, I think, to get his excuses in order because he'll front the inquiry uh, well, a week from today, Monday, February the 8th, after he accepted an offer to appear as a witness despite the Premier refusing. Yep. No, I think that'll be an interesting day's hearing. We've actually got a bit of an inquiry this morning. The inquiry's looking at arts funding around the state. A lot of anger about that. Yeah. We haven't got time to go into that, Marcus, but... You know, again, a lot of anger about political interference and also the huge cost and expenditure of all these organisations yeah. having to write these long, detailed applications that beg for money from the state government. Most of the time they're refused. It's, uh, it's a bloody mess, Marcus. Well done, David. Let's talk more on this. I appreciate your time.
My pleasure. Good speaking. All right, there he is, Greens MP David Shoebridge, fighting the good fight, and I think we should all be fighting the good fight against corruption. Marcus Paul in the morning. Not too far away from the 7.30 news. Give me a call, 13 12 69, my telephone number. Emails MP in the morning at 2SMSupernetwork.com. And don't forget, you can follow us too on social media. Follow the hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning on Facebook. Yeah, go west. We close our eyes, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Look, potential choking fears have led to a nationwide recall of a popular range of baby play suits. A notice from Product Safety Australia was issued yesterday for best and lesser's play suit with pom-poms range. You wear one of those, don't you? No. Anyway, a notice from uh, Product Safety Australia was issued Yesterday, for best and lesser's play suit with pom-poms range with all sizes and various patterns affected. According to the PSA website, individual wool threads could detach from the pom-poms, but the wool from the pom-poms becoming loose and coming off in clumps. And of course, that creates a risk of choking or suffocation for four for small children if ingested. The play suits have been sold in best and less outlets, outlets across the country. Please take them back for a full refund. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Yeah, great to have your company on this Monday. It is Feb 1, 2021. Craig Kelly, is he still at it? I think he is. He's still there over and over again. Posting misinformation on social media. What's the Prime Minister done about it? Sweet FA. As spreaders of misinformation are banned from social media, there's only one man you can turn to for reliable untruths. Craig Kelly. There has been complete abandonment of reason. The most trusted man in lies is backing up every ill-conceived social media post and every awful conspiracy to his own website, craiganon.com. <laughs> For just $1 a week, you can get all the posts that Craig Kelly will soon be banned from posting publicly at craiganon.com, where he'll be posting anonymously under the nom de plume Craig Kelly MP. But how will you know it's Craig? Posts will be unhinged, misspelt and recycled from his sky news rants. If you look at the peer-reviewed numbers, we're going to have pestilence and plague. The seven seas are going to sort of boil and rise. Because there's only one thing better than free speech, and that speech so free it's untethered to reality. Sign up to craiganon.com because the cost of free speech should be $1 a week. Craiganon proceeds will go towards Craig Kelly's Senate run in 2021 so he can be a Craig upon both your houses. Oh, that's made my morning. Come up the dial and give us a trial. Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, I rushed this, uh, unfortunately, heading into the news, so I want to repeat it. Potential choking fears have led to a nationwide recall of a popular range of baby play suits. Okay, a notice from Product Safety Australia was issued yesterday for best and lesser's play suit with pom-poms range with all sizes and various patterns affected. According to the PSA website, individual wool threads could detach from the pom-poms with the wool 
from the pom-poms themselves becoming loose and coming off in clumps, and that could create a risk of choking or suffocation for small children if ingested. Now, these play suits have been sold in best and less outlets across the country. If you have one, uh, please don't put it on, bub. Your, uh, look, the suggestion is to go back to best and less and get a full refund if possible. 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say, Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. What an absolute blow of pig manure. Call Marcus now, 13 12 69. Alrighty, 16 minutes away from 8, away from 17 Queensland. Socially speaking, uh, with Nikki is on the way soon. Uh, we'll do that. We'll check out what we should be doing on our social media accounts if you're in small business as we get into a brand new month. So that's on the way with Nicole Fay. In the meantime, kids as young as 11 are gambling for money and playing video games and apps that stimulate betting. And parents are most often funding and enabling them. Around 40% of New South Wales kids aged 12 to 17 are playing video games and apps with features that look and feel like gambling, according to Major Research Commission for the New South Wales Office of Responsible Gambling. The Reverend Tim Costello is the Chief Advocate of the Alliance for Gambling Reform and he'll be joining us on the program after 8 o'clock this morning on this issue. Hi Sebastian, don't worry, be happy. Marcus Paul in the morning, 13, 12, 69, all the news and your views. Good morning to my listeners to SM Sydney. Great to have you uh, for our first full breakfast show of 2021. Brand new month, of course. It is February the 1st and don't forget, Lawsy is back from 9 o'clock this morning, the King of Talkback. So for Sydney today, again, pretty grey, chance of a shower later. 27 for the city and a, a warm, muggy 31 out West Penrith Way. Good morning to our listeners on the Mid-North Coast. Cloudy with a chance of a shower later for both Coffs Harbour, 26 degrees, and Port Macquarie, 27. And for the Central West, g'day to you in Bathurst and Orange. Bathurst, 29 degrees, Orange, 27. Cloudy today for you. Uh, with a chance of a possible thunderstorm a little later on as well. The police are investigating after there were shots fired at a home in Mount Druitt just before 2am this morning. Police were called to a home on Frank Street after reports of gunshots, for God's sake. Uh, officers from Mount Druitt Police Area Command attended. They set up a crime scene which will be examined by, or currently is being examined by, specialist forensic officers. But this is the real uh, scary part for me. Six people, including a number of kids, were at home at the time. Thank God no one was injured. As a part of ongoing inquiries, police are urging anyone who may have info about the incident to contact police. one 800 000 but that's not good. Just after two o'clock this morning, shots fired into a house at Mount Druid, a house that contained six people, including a number of kids. Marcus Paul in the morning. And now on Marcus Paul in the morning, socially speaking, with Nicole Fay, thanks to Local Edge Marketing. Here she is, bright and bubbly for the first day of February 2021. Hello, Nikki. Yes, good morning. How are you? Ah, uh, look, not too bad. How are things out there at Local Edge Marketing? Yeah, yeah, good. Looking forward to, you know, a, a new month. And like you were saying earlier, it's the first full month in business for the year. Hmm. Um, so we couldn't be more excited 
great time to get planning for your socials. Clean slate, I think, is a really good way of putting You've got a, a, a clean yeah. slate. We've got all of the issues of Christmas and New Year out of the way and Australia Day, etc. We talked last yeah. week, of course, about being a little careful with making too many opinionated posts on your social media if you're a small business. What should you be focusing on for this brand new month? Yeah, look, February is actually a little bit of a fun one because there are a fair few, um, I guess, socially known occasions and events which is really great to kind of jump on board with for your business across social so we've got valentine's day so if you're a small (sighs) business owner getting some kind of promo for valentine's day is great whether it relates to your business or not you can still jump on that bandwagon get creative and think about what kind of unique offer can you provide your customers so what solution can you provide them um, to their problems you know, it might be a discounted rate. You might be giving away, you know, sharing the love and giving away an extra product that week. Yeah. Um, but it's it's great to make sure you're pushing it across social because then you know where those leads and sales are coming from. Well, that's right. Absolutely. And as you say, for Valentine's Day, share the love. Uh, you know, if you're a, yeah. a bakery, maybe you've got your own little social media account to do your own yeah. marketing. A bakery you can give away cakes with love hearts all over them or, I don't know, chocolate-coated love hearts as donuts. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting hungry. Look, there's so much you can do. And another another really quick one, um, which is a great idea, yeah. uh, you've probably heard of Marcus Feb Fast, where, you know, Feb after the silly Fast. season of yes. Australia Day, you know, people take some time off from the drink. Mm. Um, if you've got any of your staff members participating, get a picture of them, share the link where they're raising their funds. It's a, it's really good, authentic content for your business to share, um, showing that you're getting behind your staff and getting behind um, charitable causes. Sounds good. Um, what else can we do this February, Nikki, um, in relation to setting ourselves up for a wonderful month, hopefully of uh, increased sales and certainly awareness for your local business, small business? Yeah. Look, I think the most important thing is to plan and schedule ahead of time. Yeah. So because today's the first of the month, at least take, look, try and find 15 to 20 minutes today. Yeah. Sit down, think about content ideas of what you can share. You might want to share a little bit of a story about how you started the business, some ideas of upcoming promotions. You might want to do a poll and gauge which kind of new product the customers like you to bring into the business. Um, Using those interactive tools that both Facebook and Instagram give business owners on the page is a great idea to boost your engagement. Mm. Um, And, of course, Facebook has a completely free tool called Facebook Creator Studio. Yes. That's where for free you can schedule ahead of time your Facebook and Instagram posts. Yep. And they deliver perfectly each and every day. All right, Nikki, where do we go for these ideas and some other wonderful tips on social media? Yeah, that's it. So you can head to Local Edge Marketing, simply type us into Google, find us on Facebook, or search us on Instagram, and we are pretty much everywhere and always happy to help. All right, Nikki, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you. Thanks, Marcus. Have a great week. You too, darling. There she is, Nicole Faye, socially speaking. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au.
Marcus Paul in the morning. <laughs> Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. All right, we're not too far away from the local, uh, well, our news at 8 o'clock, local news for our stations across the network as well. Good morning to you in Coffs, Port Macquarie, Orange and Bathurst. Let me know what's on your mind. 13, 12, 69. We'll get back into more talkback callers after 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock in Queensland. Uh, Queensland's still with us, Scruff. No, we can forget about the time now. All right, so they've gone. Excellent. I'll just do the one time call. Sounds good to me. Uh, Small landowners near the new airport in Western Sydney who will be forced to sell their homes to make way for an $11 billion rail line say the state government has failed to justify the scale of compulsory acquisitions planned for the construction of a train station. They are also upset about a process that led to some of them believing the line would not impact their homes, only to later be told their entire properties would be snapped up for the project. What's going on here? Um, Those around Orchard Hills have been left scratching their head. I'll go into this story in a few more details after the news at 8. If you'd like to have your say, 13 12 69, and if you'd like to send us a text, 0458049209, and emails, MP in the morning at 2SM supernetwork.com. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. So you're very glad your own mother didn't have an abortion, of course aren't you? I, well, of course I am. What a stupid question to ask me. What are you trying to say then? Well, I'm saying know. quite clearly, if you just listen, take your blinkers off for a moment, what I simply said was women do have the right in this country to abort a fetus if that's what they wish to do. Look, I'm sorry, <laughs> you're in the minority, Caroline. Oh, am I? Yes, absolutely you are. I think you are. No, I think you are. The beauty again of living in democracy. I simply don't agree. And because I'm pro choice, if you like, and I believe that women should be able to make their decisions under the, uh, the current laws, does that mean I'm a bad person? And should I be abused like the way that woman rang and abused me? I don't believe so. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, nice to have your company on the first day of February 2021, 13 12 69, our open line number if you'd like to have your say. The Coalition and Labor are now neck and neck in the latest news poll. Popular support for the Coalition fell to 42%, while Labor maintained a primary vote of 36 That has resulted in the two-party preferred contest narrowing from 51 to 49 to all square, 50-50. Look, as you know, the Queensland border is now open to the entirety of New South Wales, which is great news. As of this morning, flights from Sydney into the Gold Coast, at Coolangatta Airport, into Brisbane are starting to arrive, which is wonderful news. And, I mean, unfortunately, it's come too late for the school holidays with many, um, I suppose, younger people maybe wanting to go and see grandparents over the Christmas New Year period. Thanks, of course, to Anastasia Palaszczuk, that didn't happen. 13-12-69, the Prime Minister about to make a major speech today at the press club in Canberra, where he effectively will say, you know what, I'm about to turn off the tap for COVID-19 supplement payments. 
Yep, PM Scott Morrison will today outline a $1.9 billion campaign to ramp up vaccinations at hospitals, surgeries and pharmacies in a pledge to protect health while weaning our economy off the quote-unquote blank cheque of endless federal payments. Outlining his agenda for the year, Mr Morrison will talk of delivering the first jabs and also uh, an economic comeback in which Australians will return to work. He will spurn industry calls for another big stimulus to replace the JobKeeper wage subsidy when it stops at the end of next month. He says that our economy is still playing, is still rather gaining the benefits from federal payments worth $251 billion. And he basically says you can't run the Australian economy on taxpayers' money forever. That will upset those... Uh, who have been calling for an extension of JobKeeper, including Anastasia Palaszczuk in Queensland and a number of tourism operators and hospitality operators around the country. Children as young as 11 are gambling for money and playing video games and apps that stimulate betting. I'm going to talk to the Reverend Tim Costello about this in the next 10 minutes. Meanwhile, I see that small landowners near the new airport in Western Sydney, who will be forced to sell their homes to make way for an $11 billion rail line, say the state government has failed to justify the scale of compulsory acquisitions planned for the construction of a train station. They're also upset about a process that led to some of them believing the line would not impact their homes, only to later be told their entire properties would be snapped up for the project. Orchard Hills property owner Christine Vella said authorities had not explained why more than 26 hectares needed to be acquired for construction of the station planned for the area. Orchard Hills residents Christine and Jason Vella will be forced to sell their home of almost 12 years. They say it's sickening to watch. It's created an enormous emotional toll on them and their neighbours. Now, Mrs Vella and her husband are among more than a dozen landowners whose properties will be acquired for the construction of the Orchard Hill Station. They have been told that the acquisitions for the Western Sydney Airport line will be completed early next year. They say they understand that infrastructure needs to come. They don't want to lose their family homes, though, for nothing. They're trying to negotiate in a reasonable way. Look, they're only newlyweds, this couple. We might try and get on to Jesse and Jason, uh, Jesse and Lauren, uh, these people who are quoted in the, uh, in the paper from this Vella family, the Vella family out there at Orchard Hills. I mean, it's a concern, it really is. Uh, look, I understand that we do need to build rail lines that run to the airport. Of course we do. <laughs> people will need to get there. We don't want to always encourage people to, to drive. But the landowner's main concern out there is the government is acquiring more than 26 hectares for construction of a train station. Okay, 26 hectares out at Orchard Hills, which is near Penrith. And that's compared to the 1.57 hectares that they are using for a train station at Westmead near Parramatta as part of another rail project known as Metro West. It is a juxtaposition that Sydney Metro, which is delivering both projects, rejects as an apples and oranges comparison. Until September, Orchard Hills residents 
said they were assured that their two hectare properties would not be affected because the airport rail line would be tunnelled underneath. And now they've been told something completely different. Boy, oh boy. Anyway, we'll follow up with more detail on this. Why does the state government, I beg your pardon, not the state government, why does the federal government need to acquire 26 hectares for a rail station out near Penrith at Orchard Hills, while it only requires just shy of two hectares for a similar train station at Westmead? I think the residents have every right to feel a little confused about this, well and truly. It's eight and a half minutes after eight. Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, welcome back. It's 16 minutes after eight. Uh, By the way, if you're one of those uh, who are heading to Queensland after Anastasia Palaszczuk reopened the borders this morning, of course, Brisbane and the Goldie today, 28 and 29 degrees respectively, and also uh, occasional showers. What do your kids get up to online? Do you think they're gambling? You may well be surprised to learn that some kids in our country as young as 11 are gambling for money and they're playing video games and apps that stimulate betting. And quite often, it's you as parents who are most often funding and enabling them without even knowing it. Some of these stats that I'm about to read out are staggering. About 40% of New South Wales children aged 12 to 17 are playing video games and apps with features that look and feel like gambling. That's according to Major Research Commission for the New South Wales Office of Responsible Gambling. It surveyed just over 550 young people and held a range of focus groups. Although underage gambling is illegal, around 30% of the young people surveyed had bets for money in the past year. Really? 30%, that's one third, just under one third, of kids aged between 12 and 17 had betted, had, sorry, had bet for money in the past 12 months. The most popular gambling activity was commercial gambling, such as bingo, sports betting, online and off, scratchies and lottery tickets, followed by informal betting, such as poker, often played at school or TAFE. This is concerning. I don't want my kids to bet. Quite simply, I don't. Which might sound a little weird coming from, you know, a station that broadcasts so much sport. Gambling ruins lives. Excessive gambling ruins relationships, ruins futures, and unfortunately destroys families. It's not good enough. The Reverend Tim Costello, Chief Advocate of the Alliance for Gambling Reform, is my guest this morning. Tim, hello, how are you? Yeah, doing well. Good to be with you. Um, I'm sure you concur with everything that I've mentioned there. Gambling ruins lives. Why on earth would we uh, be encouraging kids under the age of 17 to gamble? Uh, Well, it's a form uh, of child abuse. And I say that quite deliberately. The the truth is that uh, in the past it was tobacco trying to induce our kids to smoke, to have the next generation of consumers, to make big profits. Thankfully, we've been able to largely fight off tobacco. Smoking rates have dropped uh, enormously. But its place has been taken by the gambling industry. 
Um, online wagering, sports betting particularly, is the fastest growing form of gambling. Uh, there are 374 gambling ads on free-to-air TV a day, and kids 8 to 16 can name the logos, the odds, the jingo, jingles of these betting company, and they have been effectively told to be a normal Australian, you need to gamble. That That is the profound shaping of our kids going on. So... This report doesn't surprise me. It shocks me because I actually do think it's predatory behaviour and we're not protecting our kids. Around 46% of young people reported that they had noticed ads on television at least weekly during sports and racing broadcasts. Now, advocates, I guess, of, of sporting contests and the rest of it would say, well, you know, we need the ad revenue from gambling outfits. I mean, it's almost... Well, it's almost a part of every sporting broadcast now. I mean, whether it's radio or television, Tim, a part of the call, if you like, and even quite often live during the game is, you know, they're talking about the latest odds. They're talking about, you know, an injury, which means that more money's coming in for this team or that team or that player or whatever. I mean, it's so much part of what we, what we do uh, in the media these days, and it concerns me. Look, gambling advertising since on, on live sport of, uh, since 2018 has been over half a billion dollars. Um, now, it doesn't have to be this way, Marcus. Uh, Italy has banned all gambling advertising, all. You can still go and gamble, but you can't advertise. Uh, in England, uh, bet, uh, bet, uh, sports betting was the sponsor of the FA Cup. Yep. They said nearly three years ago we're not targeting our kids these uh, players are the kids heroes gone they will not do it it's australia that is the outlier here and it's because australia has the greatest capture of politics and culture by the gambling industry so we have the greatest losses per head gambling losses in the world and those losses are 40 percent higher than the nation that comes second to us so so if America's blind spot is guns, and it is, ours is gambling. Uh, so the, the, the very idea that really there isn't a 10-year-old today who does not identify their NRL or AFL or cricket heroes with gambling, there's not a 10-year-old that doesn't. That yep. is just shocking, and it's not the case in other countries. It is profound capture here, Marcus. Well, Absolutely. Uh, and unfortunately, we're enabling it. Um, and the problem is, uh, again, as I'll come back to, you know, what you mentioned, it. you talked about a multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, it's almost as if sport can't rely on the revenue that's provided by gambling, whether it's via television or radio advertisements. And I don't know why, why can't what happened to the good old days where you know there'd be a hundred ads for Nike shoes rather than a hundred ads for the local betting agency. When did it all become about betting and why? Well, well, it's really interesting sport because you you will remember. Look, I don't know your age, but I'm I'm so old I didn't study ancient history. I lived through it, Marcus. But uh, <laughs> come on I, now, <laughs> I, I remember when every sporting event was brought to you by. Benson and Hedges and oh, yes. buy cigarettes. Mm. And then it was brought to you by in Melbourne where I am, Victoria Bitter or yep. whatever beer you drank. Yep. And at the time when uh, with the campaigns were run to get cigarettes 
and alcohol out of advertising sport to protect kids. All the sporting codes said, no, the skies will fall in, that will mm. be the end of us. They and they actually, when it happened, they actually were able to find other revenue bases. It is no different, Marcus, with gambling. It is no different. Uh, this is an adult product, but we don't allow tobacco, which is legal, and an adult product to be targeting our kids, or alcohol for that matter, or other adult products. We should not be allowing this with gambling. It's the blind, blind spot in our culture. And I think future generations will look back and say they had royal commissions into protecting kids, rightly so, it was terrible. And right under their nose, they are actually grooming kids to become the next generation of problem gamblers with inundation of advertising and games that have morphed into gambling gambling apps, which oh, is really what's going on. Absolutely. And we're starting them off at a young age and, you know, it's... it's oh, uh, we'll talk more about it because I think it needs greater exposure. And do you think there'll be a political appetite at any point in the hopefully not-too-distant future to ban this sort of advertising? Yeah, look, I, I do. What we, we got a voluntary code in 2018, so you could bet during the game, spread betting it was called, and we got that out. Yeah. But uh, it was only voluntary. Uh, you know, ad, sports betting advertising is on in family-friendly shows like MasterChef. You can't have alcohol advertised then. Or during the news at 6 o'clock on TV, yeah. you can't advertise alcohol then. Uh, we... We know that 86% of uh, parents uh, actually want uh, advertising bans. So the absolute democratic appetite to do the right thing by our kids are there. It's just the capture by political parties of by the gambling industry, the massive donations, which is the block that's still holding uh, markets. Of course it is. All right, Tim, always good to have you on the program. Uh, take care. We'll talk more about this, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you. Go well. The Reverend Tim Costello, as always, making some really good points. Kids and gambling, why are we encouraging them at such a young age to gamble? Give me a call if you'd like to have your say on that. 13 12 69, Marcus Paul in the morning. 28 minutes after 8, Marcus Paul in the morning. 13 12 69, Susan, good morning. Good morning, Marcus. Uh, I'd like to say... I'd like to say something about this fire relief money, please. Oh, yes, sir. The state the government donated, in trouble. donated yeah. $177 million, mm. being filtered off by the current government yep. to support their longevity. Mm. It's a mongrel act. Can we have a look at the paperwork before they spill a, a double creme coffee latte over the top of them? Well, this parliamentary inquiry into the New South Wales government's council grants will be expanded to scrutinise new allegations of pork barrelling over a $177 million state and federal bushfire relief fund, of which the majority was allocated to coalition-held electorates. Those electorates held by Labor, that is, those with, you know, big bushfire issues, the Blue Mountains, as a prime example, were given, you know how much, Susan? How much? Nothing! Yes, I know. That's hey, listen. We, we really got to rock the boat about this. This, this is. There's no accountability anymore. Oh, nothing to see here. Nothing to see it's, here. It's making me. It's making me and everybody ill. Ta-ta, Marcus. All right, great call as always, Susan. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. I mean, of course, there's nothing to see here. Breakfast with Marcus Paul. Glad and Daryl. Glad and Daryl. 
Even messier than Basil Farrell, balmy nights in Wagga. But business-wise, he proved a flogger. Daz and Gladys, Daz and Gladys. Mills and Boone was never quite as sad as this romance from Hell's Pit with ICAC playing all the rude bits. Do I need to tell you how much money out of this $177 million went to the Wagga electorate? <laughs> A lot. Last time I checked, Wagga wasn't affected by the bushfire storms. Now on Marcus Paul in the Morning. The Queen Bee of the Newsroom, Diane Coveney Garland. Okay, at 22 minutes to 9. Good morning, Di. How are Good you? Good morning. Very well, thank you. Welcome to February. Thank you. Back to normality around here, I in know. a way, really, with, yep. uh, with the king about to arrive. Have you seen? They've rolled red out carpet. the red carpet. I actually carpet. got a little bit excited and went, oh, they they put out the red carpet for me this morning, and then there was no one there, so well, I, I just it, walked in the red carpet and, yeah. you know. I thought it was for me as well. Oh, okay. Well, no. we're on the same level, yeah. We were told. Uh, no. It's not for no. you. It's not for me. I'm not even sure if we were meant to walk on it. However, I did walk on it. we got no choice. Well, there were have no photographers the, or anything there, so no one know. It's hey? huge. Anyway, uh, John will be back, and yes, the red carpet is laid out to the studio, to, to the fortress. I can't wait uh, to welcome back Lawsy for his 68th oh, year incredible. of broadcasting. Absolutely. This story that I uh, I had a chat to the Reverend Tim Costello about a few moments ago, this is a, a concern. You, you're you a mother of, of teens, yes. Die. Kids as young as 11 are gambling for money, playing video games and apps that actually simulate betting. Mm. Uh, I mean, really? It's very scary. Very scary indeed. I mean, we have the Melbourne Cup. We, we You can bet on basically anything. I mean, I said last week uh, there was a bit of a drama with uh, betting on the Australian of the Year award. That's right, God's because sake. we, of course, well, when I say we, the, the media gen- yeah. generally gets a heads up about the winners. Yep. But you do have to agree to uh, a confidentiality well, term, but okay. I mean, you know. So, but but as you think a, that's going to stop exactly. other people. No, I know, yeah. I know. It's just crazy. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I I'm I'm really uh, I understand that even uh, you know with this network and, and others we do a lot of sport here and and gambling uh, does help pay the like these gambling companies do help pay the bills. Um, I don't know. I, I really I don't know why we seem to be um, targeting kids. Well, I find the big concern is that it, it's very easy for kids. They they effectively get I guess um, addicted to playing on these mm. these games and things like that. Um, and and you know you see even younger kids. You know I can't yeah, throwing massive melt having massive meltdowns because they can't play their game or yeah. contact their friends online. And yep. and they're kids under the age of ten. So wow. when they are uh, teenagers or heading into those teenage years, um, I guess that's where the gambling companies or the gaming companies are targeting them, thinking, yep, here's more money, just get them hooked on it 
online and then see what happens when they turn or 18. Or when they turn 18. It's terrible, though. They go to the pub or the club mm. with their mates. Um, yep. Chances are uh, they will then move into the gaming uh, area of mm. the club or pub. Underage gambling is illegal, but around one-third of young people surveyed had bets for money in the past year. That's how are, how are shocking. Kids, how are kids under 17 betting for money? Yeah, I, I don't even know. I... I you know, like, are they doing it online? And I, I really don't know, but, I mean, they shouldn't be. And it's setting a really bad precedent. Well, bingo, sports betting online and off, scratchies and lottery tickets, mm. followed by informal betting such as poker, often played at school or tape. So are kids in our secondary schools, high schools and, and whatnot, playing poker? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can understand. Uh, look... Yes, you're supposed to be over a certain age to buy a scratchy or a lottery ticket. Mm. But what about the online betting? Yeah. I mean, to open up a sports tab account or whatever it is, you need to be over 18. But where are the checks and balances on well, this? Well, look, by the same token, you're meant to be over 13 to open a Facebook account. Oh, and I do know of some people, yes. you know, I, I do know uh, mm. of some people whose children are 10, 11, 12, and they're like, oh, it's okay, they're on Facebook, it's all right, and they just lie about their age. So mm. clearly... There need to be some checks. I think so. All right, Daisy, we'll hear you in the news uh, when Lawsy gets back at 9 o'clock. Thank you. Thank you. Diane Coveney-Garland, the Queen Bee of our newsroom. <laughs> Bob's on the open line on 13 12 69. G'day, Bob. How you going, Marcus? All right, thank you, Bob. What did you want to talk about? Uh, listen, with the, uh, the, the the younger people gambling and all that kind of culture, Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a 27-year-old and... What I've noticed where a lot of it comes from is it's the video game. So basically when I used to play video games as a 13 or 14 year old is you'd buy the game and you'd play it and there'd be no more to it. These days a lot of video games are free and basically the way they make their money out of it is you need to buy things within the, the video game. So the best example is my 10 year old nephew, you know, plays a free, uh, a free video game, uh, Roblox or uh, Fortnite. And the way to get better characters is you need to buy things. So you need to buy different characters or different guns or different skins. So what happens is these things have monetary value. So they you find do. these kids. Yes. So that, that's right. So these kids start, start to buy these things and then trade them for, for more money. And then between their, their friends, they start to get different values. So they trade a $10 item for a, for a $20 item or they gamble on, yeah. you know, getting a mystery box for $20, and there could be a $100 item inside this mystery box, or it could be a $1 item. So that's, that's, that's where you find them, you know, kind of, it's a bit like gambling is, you don't know what, what you're going to get, it, and it's completely luck. So and that's right, that's, and, you know, when they, when they have a win, they get the same thrill as what adults get when they have a win. And then, of course, it obviously has the risk of when they become adults that they continue these habits. The problem is... When you're an adult and you're betting with your own money, it's, well, it becomes even more of an issue because you're not doing it online with your mates for pretend money or you're not doing it via a video app or, you know, one of those games apps or something. Absolutely. Great call. Appreciate it. Good morning. Morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. All right, it's a quarter to nine. We're off to Canberra in just a few moments with Christina in the capital after nine o'clock. The return of the king, John Laws. Uh, Lawsy back for 2021.
Sydney today, cloudy chance of showers, 27 in the city, 31 in Penrith. For my listeners on the mid-north coast of New South Wales, good morning to you in Coffs, good morning to you in Port Macquarie, 26 and 27 degrees there. Cloudy with a chance of a shower later. And for our listeners on 2EL and stations in the central west, cloudy today, showers and a possible thunderstorm later. Orange, 27 degrees and Bathurst, 29. All right, you can spice up your home, office or showroom with the hottest looking, most comfortable new custom-made lounge from Chili Pip. It's an easy name to remember, Chili Pip. You'll get a top quality lounge individually designed by Chili Pip to your specific requirements and ready within three to four weeks of your order. At Chili Pip, you can choose from over 500 fabrics and leathers and every lounge made in their Sydney factory comes with a 10-year warranty. Now mention you heard it here on Marcus Paul in the morning and Chili Pip will throw in free fabric protection with your order. Valued at over 300 bucks. They're family-owned and operated for more than two decades. Chili Pip specialise in lounges, sofa beds, armchairs, bedheads and ottomans. Made by Australians for Australians. So if you want a comfy new lounge made here in Sydney at a special direct-from-the-factory wholesale price, check out the Chili Pip website. You'll be able to check out a whole stack of wonderful testimonies. Uh, Some great... Uh, comments that have been made from people who've used Chili Pip to create their ideal lounge. So just go to chilipip, C-H-I-L-L-I-P-I-P.com.au or you can call the friendly, helpful staff at Chili Pip Lounge Designs on 1300 797 516. Once again, 1300 797 516 for Chili Pip. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. I have always believed in miracles. The latest from the capital with Christina Rosengren. Okay, 10 to 9. Lawsy back after 9 o'clock this morning. Hello, Christina. Hello, Marcus. Welcome to a new month and our pollies are back tomorrow, but nine federal politicians will be unable to attend the first sitting of Parliament after being ordered to self-isolate. Yes, so Western Australia is under a five-day lockdown, as we know, and that's, of course, in response to the hotel quarantine security guard in Perth who tested positive to the UK variant of COVID-19, so it's the highly infectious one. Uh, So this lockdown is an attempt to track down all those contacts and the locations we visited to make sure this hasn't spread or to prevent further spread. And then when this lockdown was announced, there was a plane flying from WA to Canberra, and its passengers were told that while they were in the air that they are affected by these rules, and it means that they too have to isolate when they land. So this plane included nine federal politicians who were flying to Canberra to take part in the first sitting period of the year that starts tomorrow. Uh, Now, obviously, they won't be able to come into Parliament House anymore to take part, uh, but there is some talk about whether they could join remotely. As we know, last year, Prime Minister Scott Morrison attended Question Time via video link, so there could be, you know, some sort of uh, situations or arrangements put up like that. Uh, Some of the parliamentarians caught up in, in this include Defence Minister Linda Reynolds, she told reporters that she'll do everything they're told to do by the health authorities. Mm-hmm. Government front badger Ken Wyatt is also caught up in this. He says the WA's decision is a good one and that all of this is quite sensible. So the sentiment is that everyone's pretty accepting of what needs to be done. But there could be some arrangements uh, put in place to help them take part. So. All right. Uh, the Prime Minister will address uh, the National Press Club today. He's set to announce almost $2 billion for our vaccine rollout scheme. 
Yes, so Scott Morrison, he'll be giving a speech to the National Press Club today, and uh, in the speech he'll commit $1.9 billion to ramp up the vaccinations program, a program at uh, hospitals, surgeries and pharmacies, and uh, that in part will help deliver a surge workforce to deliver those vaccines, and that will start uh, this month. Uh, so there'll be two sides of this speech uh, that Mr Morrison's giving today. There's a health side and an economic side, and it'll be very much an opportunity for Mr Morrison to outline his agenda for the year. So he'll talk about you know, the continued suppression of COVID-19 and how well Australia has done, but also the need for continued vigilance. And he'll also talk about how uh, this vaccine will bolster consumer confidence and will yeah. through to kickstart Australia's economic recovery. And he'll talk about how uh, the government's pandemic payments has helped a lot of people, but he'll also maintain that they will need to wrap up uh, at the end of next month. And the government doesn't really seem like it's budging on that. Uh, one thing he will say is that uh, the Australian economy can't run on taxpayers' money forever. And the other thing he'll say is that uh, government's not running a blank check budget, so he's yep. been quite firm there. So this is quite, you know, very much an agenda-setting speech for 2021, uh, putting priority on suppressing the virus, but also on uh, the economic recovery. Yeah, it probably won't go too well with uh, go down too well with the Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk after her comments late last week. All right, Christina, no. thank you. We'll chat to you tomorrow and hear your reports today across the Super Radio Network. Appreciate it. Have a good day. Thank you. Christina in the capital, Marcus Paul in the morning. Just about ready to wrap up our show today, 13 12 69, the telephone number. And the king of talkback, John Laws, joining you after our 9 o'clock news around Australia.